Amen. Amen. Well, guys, grab a Bible and make your way with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 24, or grab the booklet that we gave you that is actually also a Bible, so that one way or another, you're going to be in the passage of Scripture with us. Once more, we've been providing these booklets for you in the book of Proverbs, and so in the last few couple weeks, we did it a little bit differently because of the specific section we were in, which I'll dive into a little bit more, but this week we're doing, we're picking up in chapter 24, kind of in the middle, but it's still the first week you have this booklet. So if you didn't get a booklet tonight, you need a booklet. Uh, they're available out in the foyer. We'd invite you to get a hold of that uh, so that you can track along with us if you're joining us online. We just want to give you the same invitation. If you want a booklet, they are available on our website. You can go to calvaryrosal.com. Go into the messages, and you'll find under today's message a, uh, a little link there that you could just click. It says download, and it'll have notes there. Download those notes, and you'd be able to join us. You could print them out or just use them on an electronic device. Once more, the aim is to make it something that you could scribble on, write on, circle, underline. We're going to do that a little bit on the screen with some colors and things that we've been doing in the midst of it. We're hoping it's helpful. At the same moment, just saying, however it works for you, but we're wanting you to be able to track through this so that as we make our way through the verses this evening, you would understand uh, what's being given there. But more than that, God would speak to you, that he would cause you to hear that which he would have for you. So I'm going to take a moment and pray for that, but I'd like you to do the same. Let's just present ourselves to God. Let's ask that in his faithfulness, he would meet you where you are, and he would open up his word to you in a way that you would hear it, but it would also just work that good thing in you that you need. So let's ask him for that right now. Father, right here, right now, this space, God, would you just meet us? Would you cause our hearts right now to be receptive? open. There's a lot of things that could block that up, Lord, just our own physical weaknesses, the trials and troubles of our lives, the things that just get there and get off. Lord, would you do all that's needed to make us able to hear? And then would you help us to actually hear so that we understand the passage, but in the midst of it, God, in your faithfulness, would you give us something, something that is you in your gentleness and your kindness and your goodness speaking to every person here. Lord, you're that good. You're that faithful. I ask that you'd help us to hear. And that tonight, not only hearing, it would be effective in drawing us to the things you have for us. We ask for it right now as we submit this evening to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wisdom. Well, it's like honey. Well, yeah, that's actually what our verse is going to say as we dive into it tonight, but let me give you a rough translation of the beginning of it. It says, my son, wisdom is just like honey. Honey is good to eat, and it tastes sweet, and wisdom is like that for your inner life. Hey, it's an interesting reality. He draws us to think through just the, the power of wisdom, the, the power, the way that it works, and he says, wisdom, it's kind of like honey. It, it is, it's good for you, and it's enjoyable at the same moment. It tastes good as well. It ought to be something for you. And God's wisdom is that for not you physically, but spiritually. Yeah, that's exactly what he's going to lay out to us as we join right here in the midst of chapter 24. We're in verse 13 this evening where he invites us to see wisdom that way. Well, before we talk about that, let me back up for a second and remind you, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, we're in an interesting section inside the book of Proverbs. Uh, a section that has been a list of 30 different things uh, that God is speaking, pieces of wisdom. Tonight finds itself number 26 out of 30, 26 of those 30. Well, again, if you miss it the last couple of weeks, you might want to go back and get it. We talked about that how from chapter 22, verse 17 to chapter 24 of, of verse 22, there's a, a list of 30 things, and it's kind of a fascinating reality. It was a common thing in those days, and, and wisdom kind of flowed in those ways, and it's as if God takes that, that voice and speaks it into his people and says, I'll give you 30 things. I'll give you 30 things to think through. And so we've been doing that the last couple of weeks, and we're going to finish that up 
plus a few verses. So we're going to finish up these last things, and again, if that has any questions, if that you need reminded about that, you can talk to me afterwards, but it's worth just again noting that God is listing these things out for us, and tonight we find ourselves looking at number 26 of 30 statements of wisdom that are found here in the midst of the book of Proverbs, and in it again, he invites us to think about something. He says, my son, speaking almost as a father to a child, he says, eat honey because it is good, and the honeycomb, which is sweet to your taste. He says, he says, I want you to invite you to see that, and invite you to see even what it is, and invites us to see what that would look like. And it's a fascinating thing you guys understand. I mean, honey's a, an incredibly valuable thing. I mean, people have looked through the, the benefits of, of eating honey and talk about how it, you know, helps everything from allergies to, you know, nutrients to, to memory to, to soothing. I mean, you look at this incredible thing that honey is, and it was seen that way, even in the scriptures, that they looked at honey and said, hey, this is something that's good for us, but in that culture, again, incredibly just tasty. And so God's saying, that's how knowledge is meant to be for you, that when you come across God's knowledge, when you're approaching His wisdom, it's meant to be like that. It's meant to be something like, I need that, and I like it at the same point in time. I, I, I need it because it's good for me, but it's not like just, you know, eating something that, you know, you like, you know, take these things because you, you don't like them, like, you know, eating some vegetable that is meant to be like, I know this is good for me, but I don't even enjoy it. It's like, no, it really, if you get it, it's like, this is good, and I enjoy it as well. He says, that's what God wisdom would be for you. It would do that, and he says, beyond that, if you find it, if you really get a hold of God's wisdom, he says, there shall be a prospect and your hope will not be cut off. He says, this will give you value. It'll, it'll give you that prospect or hope. The word prospect really has the idea of a future. Some of your translations might say it that way, or a, a latter end in the midst of it. He says, if you really grab yourself around the things that God has, it, not only is it enjoyable, not only is it good, it's it takes you on this place that's taking you into the space that you want, and it's not going to go away. I like that. Now, immediately, my mind runs to one of those famous verses. Some of you maybe went there as well in Jeremiah, where God just speaks through him and says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Because he says, I know what I'm thinking, I, I know what I have for you, and I want you to understand what it is. Even though sometimes those take us through hard journeys, which it actually was in chapter 29, by the way, heading into a very difficult time in history, and God, God says, but I know what I'm doing, and I have a future in mind for you. I want you to see a hope that it's not just about the present moment, it's, it's where all this is going, and to be able to embrace that is where he calls us to go. So, once more, it's kind of a fascinating section. Uh, one of the translations that I looked through, one that was given to Bible translators, which is the one I gave you at the very outset, I just like the way they put the whole thing, uh, and it's kind of uh, just words of it, so I just put that uh, translation that uh, Bible translator uh, was using, and he simply said it this way. He says, my son, wisdom is just like honey. Honey is good to eat, and it tastes sweet, and wisdom is like that for your inner life, your soul, if you get wisdom, you will have hope for the future, a hope that will not be disappointed. That's a good place to hear right now. You know, you're here tonight, you're joining us in the book of Proverbs. We're definitely looking at God's wisdom, and God speaks that into our lives, and I don't know how that is approaching even you in your life right now. I don't know if you look at it and you like the book of Proverbs or you don't, or you like wisdom or you don't. I don't know if it finds itself one of the spaces that you could almost just approach it analytically or outside of it, and yet God is inviting you not to do it. He says, I want you to see something. I want you to see that wisdom is meant to be good for you, but enjoyable, but it would feed your soul. It would feed your soul. It would be wisdom for you. And if you get it, not only would it meet you now, it would give you strength as you move forward. It would root you in the good things that God has for you. It would root you in the kindness that he's doing in your life. And God is inviting you and I to that. He's inviting us to have that kind of hunger for this and to believe in its, in its good space and what it's able to do in our lives. And I'm longing that you would hear it this evening. I'm longing that it would be that so that as you come here this evening, that would actually be where you are. And again, just simply, I like the way it says it there in verse 14. If you find it, 
If you found it, it, you'll find it to be so. May God help you to find it. May he help you to find his wisdom, his wisdom that would be into your space, into your life tonight in a way that would give you help, in a way that would give you strength and draw you to the things that God has for you. All right. Well, going on down, verse 15 says it to us this way. It says, do not lie in wait, a wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous, nor plunder his resting place. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Number 27 of the 30 pieces of wisdom, and this one's interesting because it begins not speaking to you, I hope, but speaking to the wicked. It's as if he's talking to somebody, and he says, okay, oh, oh, you wicked man, you're one who is doing wrong. He says, I want to give you this piece of wisdom. He says, I don't want you to be one that lies in wait against the dwelling of the righteous. Do not plunder his resting place. Has the idea of speaking to one who is watching the righteous, watching the things that are happening in the midst of it, watching what it is. He says, hey, don't take advantage of it. Don't, don't think that in that sense that you could plunder what they are. And it has the idea of understanding that the righteous is going through a hard space. Uh, it's as if you, you look at this and something's gone wrong, something's uh, gone, gone amiss. There, there's a, a place that very easily they can be taken advantage of that you could steal from them or take from them or anything that's there. And he warns them away from it. And then he gives us this nugget. He says, for a righteous man may fall seven times. Then rise again. He says, here's something you need to understand. You know, the righteous, you know, there, there is no space that they just always live in some kind of unhindered space, but they get back up. The righteous one does that. They fall, even if it's seven times, and seven probably even being that kind of complete number. So definitely not a, a, just a, a digit, but a way of saying, hey, they can keep doing that, but they, they rise. But he says, it's not so for the wicked. It's not so for that. The, the wicked fall. And when they do, they fall by calamity. It's a good reality. It's a good reality for us to think about just for a moment. Maybe you understand it. Maybe it's a part of it. But I want to tell you, theologically, technically, it's true. That, that what God starts on us, he, he continues doing. That the righteous, I mean, there is a sense that, that true Christians, real Christians, they can, you know, they, you know I, I have this like goofy little saying that runs in my head and it probably isn't going to work, but for like two people. But like when I was a little kid, you know, they, they had these little things like they called them weebles. You know, weebles wobble, but they don't fall down kind of thing. And it just, it kind of rolls in my head. And it's just like, yeah, that's what happens. You know, weebles wobble, but they don't, they, they get, they, they, they bounce back up. Like, it might happen for a moment, you know, they might be down, but they're engineered by Christ. They're engineered by something there so that you could look at this and know, hey, there's going to be a bounce back. That's how it works. Now, in the midst of this, he's as if speaking to somebody and saying, hey, if you're looking at, you know, somebody who's falling and they're righteous, hey, you should know that. You should know that. And you should be careful about taking advantage of them when they're down because they will get back up. They will get back up. Now, that's just a, a good reality for us to think about for a moment. Now, I recognize, again, this proverb is spoken to the wicked, but can I speak it to the righteous for a moment in the way that you see others? You guys know the reality, right? It's been well said uh, that sometimes uh, Christians shoot their own wounded. Sometimes the Christian army, it's been said, is the only army that shoots its own wounded. And the sad reality is sometimes that's the case. Sometimes we as Christians can look at Christians that struggle and instead of being compassionate, instead of being like, hey, you know what, I'm going to believe good for you. Let's get you back up. I'm going to pick you. I want to be a part of that. We can begin to be those who look at somebody who's, who's fallen or, or entered into a hard space and somehow either discount them or or move against that. And I just want to tell you, certainly if this is spoken to the wicked, it ought to be spoken to, spoken to us so that when we see somebody who is fallen, when we see somebody who's entered into a hard space, that we kind of recognize this. Now, again, I have a number of thoughts that roll through that in my mind. I think about what it's told us in 1 John. It says when somebody doesn't get back up, then it was proof that they weren't ever actually saved in the first place. Because he says, you know, that's part of what happens. It's part of, you know, that when, when that person doesn't rise, like, okay, you know, I'm hoping, I'm believing, I want to see that. 
and, and yet wanting to, to look that in, in people's lives, and yet there ought to be a reality where we both hope for that, believe that, and seek that. Again, I want to just give that to you as you think about others, because again, it's a sad reality that sometimes we're the slowest ones to get there, but we ought to be there. But let me turn it around and just say this. This reality is a good reality. It's a good reality to think through even in our lives, and maybe it's one that I get to speak to your life tonight. Because there's something here that I believe that if you're a true follower of Jesus, that you can joyfully embrace, that you ought to be able to embrace. Not in a place that gives you some unhealthy confidence again or, or, or moves you to, to some kind of reckless rebellion, but a place of just believing that this is how God is going to work in our lives. One of the verses that God gave me early in my Christian life that I love so much is out of the book of Micah. And, and he simply says, you know, do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light for me. It's as if he looks and he's looking out now at the enemy and says, hey, if I fall down, I'm going to get back up. I'm going to get back up. And he goes on to say, you know, God might discipline me. I'll have to go through the discipline that God gets. He does that. He doesn't, you know, let us get away with things without discipline, but he's not going to let me go. He's not going to let me go. And I know this, you know, there's going to be a space that I'm going to come back up the other side of this. I'm going to come up out of this. Don't rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, God will be a light for me. It's a good confidence to have. It's a good confidence. It doesn't mean we don't have the hard spaces. It doesn't mean we don't look at it and think, okay, there are days that I, you know, might absolutely wipe out, you know, and, and just have a hard day and lose it. But I, I'm not looking at that as if, okay, that's it, you know, I'm down and I'm out. It's like, no, I'm, I'm going to get back up. I'm going to get up because I know who's on my side. I, I, I know what I am. In fact, I think about this in one of the most famous verses out of the book of Philippians that some of you know that Paul says it this way as he thinks about the church there in Philippi. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So again, I'm kind of thinking about it from a couple different angles this evening, and I'm not sure which angle you're needing to hear it from. But I want to again just give it to you. If you're in Christ, I mean really in Christ, and I want to speak that very, very clearly. You know, all the hope that we have is in Christ, to, to have a real relationship, a born-again relationship with Jesus. Everything that God has for us unpacks in the midst of that, and, and that's something you are needing to know. It's been definitely one of the messages that we've talked about in the book of 1 John, a place where we can know that we know that we're His, that we can have an assurance of our salvation, and yet we've warned there are some who think they're saved or not. So again, I don't want to in any way feed that. But if you know that you know, there's something there that could just change the way you get this sometimes. That you would be able to say, okay, I, here's what I know. The righteous fall seven times and they get back up. You know, this is what I know. You know, God is for me. And, you know, it doesn't mean my road's going to be easy. It doesn't mean he's not going to have to discipline me at times. But, I'm, but neither am I worried you know, that all of a sudden I'm going to be done. There's a confidence that God can give us in this that is an incredibly good confidence. And I don't know if I'm speaking into your life this evening where right now you, you almost are in this space where you're having maybe a hard day. And somehow in the midst of it, you have had this lie that I think God's done with me. I think he's about fed up. I think, I think he's kind of like, you know what, enough. Like, you know what, you, you know, you're, you're too much baggage, you know. I, 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 I didn't, if I had known what a project you would be, I never would have taken you on kind of deal. And, and, you know, now that I've found out that you're so difficult, and I just want to tell you that's not possible. He knew what you were before he, he, he saved you. He knew everything about you. There's not anything that's there. And it's because of this, that's why Paul can say, I'm confident. If he started it, He's never going to throw in the towel. He's never going to go, well, you know, you know, you were a good starting project. He's like, no, I'm confident that if he started it all the way until the day of Christ Jesus, which we're not at yet, that's the day that Jesus comes back, I know that he's going to be faithful. I know that he's going to be faithful to keep working in your life. What an incredible place that would be to believe that, to find yourself just kind of just 
destroying that lie, that place that would speak into your life that God is tired of you, or God is frustrated with you, or He's about to give up on you. It's not any place that would make you more easily rebellious, because again, I like the way Micah says, like, He might have to discipline me. That's not going to be any fun. But I know this, He's not going to quit on me either. I know what He started in me is going to keep doing that, and there's a good space for that. So maybe you need to hear that this evening. Maybe it's in the midst of this that we're saying that God is speaking it to you. But I want to come back to it and say, again, the perspective of this passage in Proverbs is not about you. It's about the way you see others. It's, it's the way that you're looking on somebody who's wobbling. You're looking at somebody who's like, okay, they're, just not, they're not doing really well right now. And, and, and he says, hey, don't, don't take advantage of that. Don't give up. You know, if God has started it, he's going to come back to this, believe this. That's what Paul's doing here in Philippians. He says, here's my confidence. And he says, this is his confidence about them. He says, here's my hope. Here's my confidence when I think about you, that he who began that work in you, he will complete it until the day of Christ. That that perspective is able to be Paul's as he looks into somebody else's life. And there's something about in this verse that calls us to have the same kind of hope to be able to say, I, I believe that. Now, again, if they're not Christ and they don't come back, then it's going to be okay, then that proves they're not his. But if they are, I know this. And, and, and what that would change in the way that we speak about people or walk into their lives would be an incredibly different space, and he's inviting us to it. He's inviting us to a, a wonderfully glorious good hope. May it be so for you. May it be something that he speaks into your life this evening. That said, catch it again at the end of it. It's not so for the wicked. The wicked are going to fall, and they're not going to get back up. The wicked are going to fall, and there's not going to be fixing. The wicked are going to fall, and, and, and it's eventually going to be a forever fall. It's kind of in the midst of that that we continue into the next verse there, in verse 17, as he now speaks to us. He says, do not rejoice when your enemy fails. Do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. So now again, we're watching. We, we just watched the righteous fall. Now we're talking about the wicked and, and when they do it. And we get number 28 uh, of the 30 statements that are in the mix of this. And he just tells us, when you watch somebody fall, and this time it's not a righteous person, this time it is somebody who's not a believer, and you're watching their life explode, you're watching things go bad in their life. You're watching them kind of, you know, earn and get those things which their sin has, has kind of been doing over, over that. He says, don't rejoice. Don't find joy in somebody else's suffering. Don't find joy, you know, when, when that's happening in the midst of it. Don't be glad when he stumbles. And then he reasons with us. He says, lest the Lord see it and it displease him and he turn away his wrath from him. Okay, honest admission. I know what this verse is saying, and I can get there, but my mind, it's just kind of a weird place. My immediate way of reading this reads it wrongly. It almost makes it sound like if you want him to suffer, don't do this, because you really want him to suffer. Like, you know, like, you don't want to mess up their suffering. I mean, it's not what it's saying. It's certainly not God's heart. God sees everything. When it says that God will see it, it will displease him, but it has the idea of you getting in the way of what God is doing. I like the way it gives it to us in Romans 12, where he says, you know, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He says, when you're dealing with life, and you're dealing with people who are hurting you, or, or being hurtful in our world, and you find yourself thinking, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to take them out. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to give them their just due. That's, you know, I, God, I will be the one that, you know, you know, let me go, God, and I will be glad to teach this person a lesson. You probably have never thought those things, I understand, but just kind of give me some grace for thinking about them. So, I mean, there's this moment where sometimes you want to take on vengeance, where you want to be the one that repays, and God says, don't do it. That's mine. I'm the God who's just. I'm the God who's going to deal with the world, and there's not anybody doing anything that's going to get away with anything, but you need to be able to trust me. You need to be able to say, that's not mine, and it's not mine to give vengeance. It's not mine to do wrong, to, to fix everything or, or to repay. I'm going to give that to God, and yet he gives us this little nugget in the midst of it. He says, give place to wrath. 
One way of rendering that is, don't get in God's way. Don't mess it up. Don't mess up what he's doing. In other words, it's possible. It is possible that at times when God is seeking to bring about judgment or discipline into somebody else's life, your being in the wrong space in it can mess up their discipline can mess up what God is seeking to work in them. It's, and that's exactly what it's saying here in this, uh, this proverb. He says, okay, here you are. All of a sudden, you know, they're suffering, and then you get joy over it. Now he's going to have to discipline you, and he's going to have to discipline you in the midst of it because you just, you just, you're messing up what he's seeking to do in their lives. You're, you're doing something that not only is it wrong, it's, 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 it's crossing a line that is just creating a problem. Now, maybe that's clear enough all by itself, but I'm just going to just tell you a quick story. Um, for me, there's one of the stories that this proverb always brings back up because it happened in, in my life. So it was a long time ago. It was like 40 years ago. I was in high school. Okay, so you're going to give me a little bit of grace. Uh, 40 years ago in high school, we were driving at lunch or something like that, driving my 65 Mustang. That's because what you do when you have a car, you just drive, you know. And so we were driving, and me and my friends, and we happened to drive by a, 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 a patrolman who had pulled somebody over and was getting ready to give them a ticket. And my friend decides to lean out the window and mock them. Uh, he decides, you know, he just decides, he just leans way out the window. I don't even think we had seatbelts, because I'm pretty sure he got, like, way up, and I'm trying to remember, but he's like, oh, you, you deserve that. He's just screaming out, you know, laughing as hard as he can, and, and then we went by. Thought it was really, really fun, until, like, four seconds later, uh, when the dis- patrolman decided that he was no longer going to give the other person a ticket, and he decided to come after me, and he pulls me over, and just decided to figure out if there's any way he could give me a ticket. Thankfully, there was I, I, my lights all worked. I had registration, all those kinds of things. But I remember him just kind of telling us, like, hey, that, that's not okay. Like, that's not okay. Like, you rejoicing that somebody else is getting a ticket. Not only did I not give them a ticket now, I came after you. And I, when I read this first, that's kind of what goes through my mind. It's like, man, that's, I don't, don't do that, you know. That's a dumb thing to do. It's like a childish move, you know. And, and I was being, we were being childish. And so, I, again, I don't know if that lands for anybody else, but he's just saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't be the one that finds joy when somebody else suffers. It should never be that way. Even if they're wicked, even if they deserve it, you should not be that person. You know, for a lot of reasons, this is altogether wrong. It's not that, you know, you have a hold of the grace that is yours in Christ and so much more, but you actually could cross a line that gets in the way of what God is doing in the world, which he is doing. So he just tells us not to do it. Don't rejoice when your enemy falls. Don't let yourself be there. Well, flip the page. Verse 19 says it this way. Do not fret because of evildoers nor be envious of the wicked, for there will be no prospect for the evil man, and the lamp of the wicked will be put out. So number 29 of 30, and kind of in this little theme, because we've been talking about people's lives exploding, and we talked about, hey, the righteous, if they fall, they're going to get back up. But the wicked, not so much, but you shouldn't find joy in it. And because you recognize this is all true, you should be one that doesn't fret. When you're looking at somebody who's doing wrong and evil, uh, you, you should be able to say, you know what, this is not the end of the story, and they're not getting away with anything, you know, and, and there's, there's an end to where this whole thing is going. He says, because for the wicked, there will be no prospect, and it's the same word that we saw uh, a couple of verses earlier. There's, there's no future. There's no good end for that person. It's not going that way. The lamp of the wicked is going to be put out. So even if they haven't wiped out yet, you know they're going to you know the end is coming. And he says, because of that, don't find yourself wishing you had their life or wanting what they have or being envious of the wicked or, or being fretful because of anything that's there. He says, don't let that be you because you know what we've just said. It, it goes badly for this. Believing that, it should be absolutely there. You know, I, I just pause and say this. I hope it's not so for anybody here this evening. I hope as we think about this, where he says, there's no prospect for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. But if that is you, if you're here this evening and you find yourself outside of Christ, that is your destination. There, 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 there's, a, there's a destruction that's coming. There's no future in that. Hell is certain. And we simply want to tell you that's what God would rescue you from. And he can. We invite you to Christ even this evening, if that's where you are, and just long that God would bring you to that. All right. Go on down. Verse 21. He says, my son, fear the Lord and the king. 
do not associate with those given to change, for their calamity will rise, will rise suddenly, and who knows uh, the ruin those two can bring. So number 30 of the 30, so the last of the 30 uh, pieces of Proverbs, he just says, okay, my son, you should fear God. You, you should live in fear of God. You should know there is a God. That should be true of your life. But you should also fear the king. You should also fear power and, and ruling and authority, recognizing what Romans tells us, that everything that exists in authority really is from him. And because of that, don't associate with those given to change. The word change here isn't just the idea of like changing your mind kind of thing. It's not like, hey, just somebody who, who enjoys change. It has the idea of revolution, has the idea of rebellion. He says, don't associate with those who are that way, who would cast off all restraint, who would, you know, would just be in the midst of that. He says, don't let that be where you associate, for he says, their calamity will rise suddenly, and who knows the ruin that those two can bring. So a lot of quick things. I'm just going to hit a couple of things really quickly. It doesn't mean that every time there is something that is, you know, kind of moving against rebellion is always wrong. I mean, you guys think about where we are. We're the United States. We are, in one sense, part of a place where we did, you know, kind of throw off the yoke of, of, a, of a previous government. But interestingly enough, it was in a place that had the first one in place, that, that there was a fear of the Lord and recognizing the wrongness of it. There are spaces that go there. But can I also just say, there are few. Most of the time, you know, the place that God calls us to, to recognize is there's a propensity inside of you that is rebellious. You don't like being told what to do. Uh, you know, Paul would say, hey, you know, we, you know, as soon as the law comes, the law tells me, hey, don't do that. Instead of creating a desire for righteousness, like telling me not to do, my, my flesh immediately goes, oh, really? You didn't tell me what not to do? You're gonna, I mean, there's just this rebellious propensity within inside of us. He says, because that's true, that's wrong. That's a sinful propensity. Hey, don't, don't associate with them. Don't, you know, find people who are in that place that just are constantly in that space. It will move you into a bad space. In fact, again, he locks these two together. The person who throws off restraint of a government, but also of God, who says, hey, I don't want either one. He says, who knows the ruin that those two can bring? When somebody, you know, refuses to submit to God, and then refuses to submit to government, he's like, that's a mess waiting to happen. That, that's a mess waiting to happen. You know, they're, they're in a place that that's going to be destructive, and that's not the kind of influence you want in your life. That's not the kind of influence when somebody is that space, and he just warns us again of those things and a place that we would move away from it. It's a good nugget of wisdom. Again, practically helpful choosing those associates that would affect our lives well. Well, that draws us to the end of the 30 things, but then he tacks on a few more. If you flip the page, you know, you see there in verse 23, it says, you know, these things also belong to the, to the wise, or some of your Bible translations have a little heading like mine did there, where he says, further sayings of the wise. In other words, it would seem like, okay, we finished the 30, but he says, here's a few extras. Here's like bonus. Here's a, here's a couple extra nuggets on top of the 30 uh, that you might want to think about as you're thinking about everything that, that has just been given to us in the midst of it. It says it this way in verse 23, these things also belong to the wise. It is not good to show partiality in judgment. He who says to the wicked, you are righteous, uh, him the people will curse, nations will abhor him. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight and a good blessing will come upon them. So this nugget of wisdom, he just tosses in there and he says, it's not good. It's not good to show partiality and judgment. It's not good to treat people in an unfair way. The word partiality that's used here is kind of an interesting one in the Hebrew language. It simply has the idea of having a regard for people's faces. In other words, you're making a judgment not based on what they did, but who they are. It's not about what they've done. It's about who they know and getting away with all kinds of things. I mean, you guys understand how that works. It shouldn't be that way in the world. It does. So he says, here's this person who's going to be dealing with something. And so instead of punishing somebody who deserves to be punished, he says, if you're the kind of person that would say to the wicked, you're good. 
You're righteous. You're fine. You're fine just the way you are. You're, you're good in the midst of that. He says, if that's kind of where you are, then, then even people will find that as a curse. Nations will abhor him. It is true, even in our broken world, by the way. You know, if, if it finds out, you find a, a judge or somebody who's trying a case, and then it's because he knows them or somebody knows them. And it's like, wait, what? You let him off? And then if it finds out, they let him off, not because there was extenuating circumstances or unclear. It's no, it's like, well, I know his Uncle Joe, you know, and so, you know, kind of gave him a pass, you know, in the midst of it. That just doesn't go well. That doesn't sit well with anybody. It doesn't sit well with anybody. He says, that's a terrible space. Even, I mean, the world itself revolts against that. Nations, you know, will abhor that. But if in contrast, we would rebuke. Uh, the wicked there in italics, because it's not actually in the Hebrew text, but it's referring back to it, so it makes sense. It says, if you'll be the one that would say to the wicked, you're wrong. <laughs> you're doing that wrong. Instead of it being that which creates kind of angst and anxiety, uh, it says, you'll have delight and blessing will come upon them. And he just calls us to this. In a world where this does happen, may it not be you. It, again, we're not, you, you, you might say, well, I'm not a judge. <laughs> I don't sit behind a you know, court docket. I don't oversee them. Fine. You do make judgments. You, you do have authority. Some of you, uh, you know, maybe have employees. Some of you uh, have people that work under you. Be fair. It, you know, you ought to be that person that says, hey, I don't, I don't just, you know, give people a pass because I know them. When I deal with things, I, do, I, I try to do right and wrong. I mean, I try to handle things the way that they ought to be in a world that so often is wrong. He says, don't do that. You don't be that way. Don't show partiality in the decisions you make. Don't, don't be that kind of person. Be able to say wrong is wrong. And right is right. Like, that's wrong. That's, it shouldn't have been done. Shouldn't have been done. And it's a good space for us just to be those people that walk that way in this world. All right, flip the page. Verse 27 Prepare your outside work, make it fit for yourselves in the field and afterward. Oh, I'm sorry, actually, I went ahead. I skipped one, didn't I? Sorry about that. Back up. If you caught that, good job. Uh, don't turn the page. Go back to verse 26. Uh, it says, he who gives a, a right answer kisses the lips. It's kind of a funny little proverb. It's kind of a funny pro- pro- proverb, but it's really powerful. So it has the idea of one who gives the answer, and, and it has this way of, of, of affection or even friendship within that culture, the idea of giving a right answer has the idea of straightforward or honest. The word right answer isn't just like, hey, you know how to answer a question. You know, that, hey, if somebody, the teacher asks a question, you can answer a question. This is good. That's not what it's saying. It says you're the kind of person that when somebody asks you something, you give them a straight answer. When, when somebody asks you something, you respond to that in a way that's not duplicitous, that's not kind of, you know, you, that you don't know where they are. He says, that's like a kiss on the lips. Now, again, our problem is we live in such a culture, some of us can't get past like kind of a dating metaphor. It's not that. Uh, in, in cultures in those days, that was a greeting. Uh, you know, so you'll even get it in the New Testament where Paul will say, hey, greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, it was a kindness. It was a, uh, an affectionate kind of kindness. And so it's really meant to be interpreted that way. So again, I, I gave you a little bit earlier, um, one of my ones I like doing is I like to look at this, this group that translates the Bible into other languages and see how they handle it differently in different spaces. And so they, they did it this way in this verse. He says, you know, one way to translate this verse is to say that straightforward, honest speech, it's a mark of true friendship. That's the idea of kissing the lips. They say, if, you, if, you're, if you're straightforward, you know, like you, you, you're not, you just, you speak the truth and you, you give somebody an honest answer. That, that is real friendship. In fact, another translate, person translated it this way. The person who always gives you a straight answer shows that he's a real friend to you. It's a good piece of advice. It's a good piece of advice. I hope you have such a friend. I hope you are such a friend. I hope you're the kind of the person that people don't have to wonder, like, did you really mean that? You know, how many times do I have to ask you before I find out that you really mean what you say? You know, it's like, no, I, I tell you the truth. You're like, I, you know, you, with, with me, I mean, you know where to stand, and, and I'm not going to, you know, say one thing and say something else. I want to be a friend. And I'll, you know, just, it's a straight-up answer with me. I'm, the, I'm that kind of person. He says, when you find that, it's like somebody is like, they've just given you an affectionate kiss. It's like, that's welcoming. That's beautiful. It's a good space to have. And so he calls us to that. Okay, now you can flip the page. Verse 27. Prepare your outside work, make it fit for yourself in the field, and afterwards build your house. 
So he's telling this person, okay, hey, first of all, especially in an agricultural world, you have to think about this. He says, take care of your field. I mean, go out there, make sure it's, you know, plowed and watered and planted. I mean, you go and do that. Do that first and then take care of your house. Then, you know, begin, you know, kind of fitting out your house for the things that are there. Afterwards, you do that. And it's a pretty simple proverb that kind of puts into words that practical principle that is meant to be in our lives, that, you know, kind of producing before consuming. Like, you worry about producing and then worry about consuming. I mean, it's a good actual piece of advice for some in our culture where we consume first. But he's like, hey, you know, go out there and earn the money first before you spend it. You know, go out there and, and, and plow the field and make it happen. And then when that's there, yeah, then start, you know, fixing up the house and make the house nice. Don't make it the first thing that you do that all of a sudden you can imagine this person having this, you know, beautiful house and then you look out at their field and they never got around to planting the fields. Like, that's not going to go well for you. These creditors are coming. You, you focused on the wrong thing at the wrong space. There is a place of saying, hey, put the first things first. Hey, you know, make sure that you're producing and, and then you know, taking care of the, the, the things that are there. And it's just a good piece of practical advice uh, for your life and mine. Wherever that lands, let it land. Verse 28, do not be a witness against your neighbor without cause, for would you deceive with your lips? Do not say, I will do to him just as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. So these two verses go together. It's kind of speaking in the same thing. And he's just saying, okay, don't be that person who wrongly, you know, goes to witness against your neighbor. There's a trial, there's something that's happening in the midst of it, and all of a sudden you're going to be one who seeks to bring evidence that's a lie. Don't do that. He says, don't be that person. Don't, don't be that, because if you did that, it would be lying. I mean, it, you, if you did that, you would be deceiving with your lips, and, and it's an important reality. So this applies into that idea of a courtroom or anything else, but it applies to so much others. I find myself just wanting to say it this way. It has to do with the way we handle other people. And it can handle even the way you handle friendships or, or anything in there. He says, don't be that person who, because you're trying to get something out of it, you'll lie, that you'll say something that's not true. You, you'll do it in, in that sense to, to kind of try to maneuver and, and manufacture things. It, don't let it be, as he says it in verse 29, do not say, I will do to him just as he's done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. He says, I'm just, you know, I'm going to play God in his life for a moment. I'm going to be the one that, you know, exacts justice or, or does something. Like, he deserves this to happen. It's a place where he's calling us, hey, don't, don't let that be the way that you are. Don't let that thought be there. It kind of comes back to that principle again that we should be those who, we speak the truth. And there's been a number of Proverbs in this evening that are calling us to be that, that, that we, we speak truth, that we be that person that speaks trust, just, just and upright, we do the right thing. And I find myself thinking of what Jesus said, you know, let your yes be yes and your no but be no. Everything else is of the wicked one. Be the kind of person that, it's like that's not the way it works, you know. If, if I'm saying it, it's because it's true. I, I wouldn't be that person that would be manipulative or trying to say something to kind of control or work into things that would be destructive, and yet it happens. Most of us know it. Most of us know it. Most of us have done it. Again, maybe it really was at a trial. More likely, it was in a friendship or in a family, and you looked at something you wanted to produce, something that you thought somebody deserved. Maybe you were trying to cut off a friendship or reestablish it, and all of a sudden you just lied. And he's like, what are you doing? Why, why? That's never going to go well. And maybe it didn't in your life. I hope you'd be able to recognize that's not a good space. He says, don't do that. Don't be that. Let your be that one who's kind of what it said just before this. Be straightforward. Be honest. Your yes is your yes. Your no is your no. Everything else becomes wicked in the midst of it. And God calls us away from such a lifestyle. All right. Well, last section, uh, it's a number of verses that run from 30 to 34, but it really is one picture. Uh, for us to kind of read through and understand. So let me just read it, and then we'll just quickly unpack it. It says in verse 30, it says, I went by the field of, a la- of the lazy man, and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. A little sleep, 
a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, so shall your poverty come uh, like, like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Can you picture it? Can you walk almost with the psalmist as this happened? He says, there I was. I was just walking. I was walking along the road, and I passed by somebody's house. I passed by their space. It was a field, and he says, this person is the lazy person. Something that the Proverbs has said a lot about, that laziness is not God's plan for our lives. It's not the way he wants us to live, and it's destructive. He says, there I was. I walked by, and I walked by this lazy person's house, and then I, they, I looked at this person. He says, this person who's lazy, they, they, they're not walking in wisdom. They're devoid of understanding. And I saw their house, and there it was. You know, there's, you know everything's unkept. I mean, there's thorns everywhere. Everything's going, you know, it's surface, this place where the fields are supposed to be, you know, bringing up, you know, their fields. Because, again, this is an agricultural society. Nettles are there. The stone wall that is supposed to bring protection for the fields that's to keep animals out of, you know, destroying. It's not been kept up. It's now overrun. And, and he just looked at it. And I just want to invite you to be there for a moment. I just want to invite you just to stand there as if you're standing on the curb and you're just looking over at it for a moment. And you're just thinking, wow, that's, that's a mess. <laughs> like, like, this is not going well. This is not going well at all. Like this is, you know, they, they've not taken care of anything. They're, everything's falling apart. Everything is falling down. And again, it's not just a statement of it being pretty or a statement of it being um, nice, but useful. To see a stone wall down, again, it's to look over at a field that is supposed to be your income. It's supposed to be the way you're taking, and it's like, man, you, everything's down. Everything's a mess. Everything's in the midst of this. So you're standing there on the corner with, the, with the, the, the proverb writer in this moment, and he just says, when I saw it, I considered it well, and I received instruction. He says, I just saw it, and it's like, hmm, this is a lesson. This is a lesson that God is allowing me to hear right now. How did it get this way? What happened that, you know, that, that brought such incredible destruction into this space? I mean, obviously, it's laziness. Obviously, it's what he said at, at the early part of it. It's a man who's not walking and understanding but he says, when I saw it, when I looked, when I thought about it, he says, here's what I saw. He says, just a little, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And, and you probably get it, you probably pretty quickly, but just catch it because he says it three times. It's just a little. How, how does somebody ever get that way? Nobody, well, okay, almost nobody chooses that. Like, I think that's what I'd like to have. I don't think anybody goes and buys a property and think, I could buy this and destroy it. It's a great idea. I could buy it and let the whole thing go to pot. I should knock down the wall myself now. Nobody ever did that. There's never was like, you know, I too could ruin a piece of property. It was never somebody's intention. How did they get there? Just a little by a little. Just a little. Just a little. Like, ah, not today. Yeah, let's just put, just, just a little bit of laziness became more laziness, and more laziness became other laziness, and it's one of those places that the proverb writer is just getting this and thinking, that's a warning for me. That's a warning, because this could happen to me. Like, I could be that person that could end up in this space where, you know, you just, they're like, eh, you know, just a little extra sleep. Ah, I don't really feel like working today. Let's just not make it a day of working. Let's just yeah, you know, who, who wants to plow the field today when we could just, you know, play Nintendo or whatever would it be in the midst of, why would I go, okay, they didn't have Nintendo, but you get the idea. Um, you know, why would I just want to walk in those spaces when there's, when there's nothing there? And he says, hey, that's a dangerous place. He says, that'll happen. I mean, your, your poverty will come on like a prowler. Your need like an armed man. It, it, it starts slow, but it comes on in a wave of destruction, and he just warns us away from it. And it's a good piece of wisdom. It's a good piece of wisdom. Just to say, hey, that's not the way you want. Now again, God is a God who can rescue, and if that even defines any part of our lives this evening, may it be that God would rescue us from it, that we'd look and say, that's not the space I want to go. So as we find ourselves ending our chapter 24 this evening, even with this proverb, I find myself thinking about how we began. That we told you that wisdom, it's like honey. It's, it's enjoyable, but it's good. And I find myself thinking how much God would speak to you, how much God would talk to you. I hope he has this evening. I hope in the midst of it, he's given us even a verse this night. But I even like this one here. I mean, this was, I mean, this was just life. I mean, he's just standing on a street corner 
And, and he's just watching over, and, and, and then he saw it. Not in a way of judging, not in a way of doing what the earlier proverb said, like don't look on them and, and, and judge them or take advantage of them. But he's looked on and said, Lord, I can see how quickly I could become that. Just, I, I see what does that. Rescue me from it. And wisdom was being given. Wisdom was being communicated in a life-giving, rescuing way. Our God does that all the time. I wonder if it's happened tonight. I wonder if in the midst of his word, he has spoken into your life in a way that would be rescuing. I found myself thinking, we were just reading in the book of Psalms, and some of you read, I think it was last week, that Psalm 19 that talks about the power of the word of God to work in our life. But the earlier part of the psalm says, God is speaking all the time. You know, day after day, night unto night, he is revealing his speech that creation itself is speaking. And I come to the conclusion tonight and just say, this I know, God is talking. He's talking through his word, and he's talking through creation. He's talking through life. And if you'll hear it, it would be wisdom to you. You know what wisdom would be like to you? It would be like honey. It would be like, hmm, this is really good for me. I actually really like it too, which is kind of funny. It's just really, really funny. And you know what else it's doing? It's, it's taking me to a future, a good future, a hope that's mine. And that's where God wants to bring you, into a place that wisdom would just be life-giving, life-rescuing, and, and, and drawing you into the place that he has. And so I hope that's met, met you this evening. And, and maybe one of these nuggets is that. Maybe one of these things this evening was that thing that you needed to hear. Don't hear it as condemnation. Hear it as rescue. Here it is God rescuing and drawing you forward into the life that he has. The righteous falls <laughs> down seven times. He gets back up. If you need to get back up, get back up. Get back up and just say, okay, God, I want to walk wisely. I want to do a life a little bit better than I've been doing it. And I don't want to be those people, that person that I could so naturally be, whether it be judging or manipulative or, or not truthful. Whatever that is, may God rescue you from it tonight. And may you find that it tastes good, that it works good, and it brings you life. Let's pray for it right now. Father, thank you for your word, and I just believe it. I believe that your word is this to us tonight. God, I prayed at the outset that you would give us a nugget, that tonight we would have heard something from you. I pray that we have. I pray that we found it interesting, in its own way enjoyable. Like, that is a good thought. Then would you just permeate our heart with it, press it in deeply, transform us, take us to that good end. Jesus, I think about the hope that is mine and ours who know you this evening, that you who've begun this good work in us, you're faithful to complete it. So Lord, it's submitting to that right now. Fashion me, fashion us, shape us, draw us, help us to learn, grow us. Lord, that which you're seeking to work into us, work. Let it be, even as the proverb writer said it here in our text as, as we ended, that he watched, that he looked upon it, and when he saw it, he considered it and he received it. He received that instruction. May it be us who receive it and be rescued. I ask for that for me and for each of us now. In Jesus' name, amen.